0: Section twenty-one of Dangerous Connections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coeurdelaudelaclos. Section twenty-one, letters one hundred and one to one hundred and five. Letter the hundred and first, the Vicomte de Valmont to Azolan, his chasseur enclosed in the preceding oh
1: you must be adulpated indeed
0: to start
1: hence this morning without knowing that madame de tourvel was leaving also or if you knew not to come and warn me of what use is it pray that you should spend my money in getting drunk with the valets that you should pass the time which you ought to employ in my service in making yourself agreeable to the maids if i am no better informed of what is passing this however is what comes of your negligence but i warn you if a single instance occurs in this matter it is the last you shall commit in my service I require you to keep me informed of all that happens with Madame de Tourvel, of her health, if she sleeps, if she is dull or gay, if she often goes abroad, and whom she frequents, if she receives company, and of whom it consists, how she passes her time, if she shows ill-humour with her women particularly with the one she brought here with her, what she does when she is alone, if when she reads, she reads uninterruptedly, or often puts her reading aside to dream, and like when she is writing. Remember also to become the friend of him who carries her letters to the post. Offer often to do this commission for him in his stead and if he accepts only dispatch those which seem to you indifferent and send me the others above all those if you come across any addressed to madame de volanges make arrangements to be for some time longer the happy lover of your julie if she has another as you believed make her consent to a participation and do not plume yourself on any ridiculous delicacy you will be in the same case with many others who are worth more than you if however your substitute should become too importunate should you perceive for instance that he occupied julie too much during the day and that she was less often with her mistress get rid of him by some means or seek a quarrel with him have no fear of the results i will support you above all do not quit that house it is by assiduity that one sees all and sees clear if chance even should cause one of the men to be dismissed present yourself to seek his place as being no longer attached to me say in that case that you left me to seek a quieter and more regular house endeavour in short to get yourself accepted i shall none the less keep you in my service during this time it will be as it was with the duchesse and, in the end, Madame de Tourvel will recompense you as well. <sighs> if you had skill and zeal enough, these instructions ought to suffice. But to make up for both, I send you money. The enclosed note authorizes you, as you will see, to receive twenty-five louis from my man of business, for i have no doubt that you are without a sou you will employ what is necessary of this sum to induce julie to establish a correspondence with me the rest will serve to make the household drunk have a care that this takes place as often as possible in the lodge of the porter of the house so that he may be glad to see you come but do not forget that it is your services and not your pleasures that i wish to pay for accustom julie to observe and report everything even what might appear to her trivial it were better that she should write ten useless sentences than that she should omit one which was of interest and often what appears indifferent is not so as it is necessary that i should be informed at once if anything were to happen which should seem to you to deserve attention immediately on receipt of this letter you will send philippe on the message-horse to establish himself at
0: a village halfway between paris and the chateau of madame de Rosemonde.
1: he will remain there until further orders it will make a relay in case of need for the current correspondence the post will suffice be careful not to lose this letter read it over every day to assure yourself that you have forgotten nothing as well as to make sure that you still have it, in short, do all that needs to be done when one is honoured with my confidence. You know that if I am satisfied with you, you will be so with me out at the chateau de third of October, seventeen.
0: Letter the hundred and second, The Presidente de Tourvel to Madame de Rosemonde.
2: You will be greatly astonished, madame, to learn that I am leaving you so precipitately. This proceeding will appear to you very extraordinary, but your surprise will be redoubled when you learn my reasons for it. Perhaps you will find that, in confiding them to you, I do not sufficiently respect the tranquillity necessary to your age, that I even infringe the sentiments of veneration which are your due by so many titles. Ah, madame, forgive me, but my heart is oppressed. It feels a need to pour out its griefs upon the bosom of a friend who is as kind as she is prudent. Whom else, save you, could it choose? Look upon me as your child. Show me the kindness of a mother. I implore it. Perhaps my sentiments towards yourself give me some right to expect it. Where has the time gone when, absorbed entirely in those laudable sentiments, I was ignorant of those which, afflicting my soul with the mortal sorrow I feel, deprive me of the strength to combat them at the same time that they impose upon me the duty? Oh, this fatal visit has been my ruin. What shall I say to you, in fine? I love-yes, I loved distraction. Alas, that word which I write for the first time, that word so often entreated without being ever obtained i would pay with my life the sweet privilege of letting him who has inspired it hear it but a single time and yet i must unceasingly withhold it he will continue to doubt my feelings towards him he will think he has cause to complain of them i am indeed unhappy why is it not as easy for him to read in my heart as to reign there yes i should suffer less if he knew all that i suffer But you yourself, to whom I say it, will still have but a feeble idea of it. In a few moments I am about to fly from him and cause him grief. Whilst he will still believe he is near me I shall already be far away. At the hour when I was accustomed to see him daily I shall be where he has never been, where I must not permit him to come. Already all my preparations are complete. All is there beneath my eyes. I can let them rest on nothing which does not speak of this cruel separation. Everything is ready, except myself. And the more my heart resists, the more does it prove to me the necessity of submission to it. Doubtless I shall submit to it. It is better to die than to lead a life of guilt. I feel it already. I know it but too well. I have only saved my prudence. My virtue is gone. Must I confess it to you? What yet remains to me I owe to his generosity. Intoxicated with the pleasure of seeing him, of hearing him, with the sweetness of feeling him near me, with the still greater happiness of being able to make his own, I was powerless and without strength. Hardly enough was left to me to struggle. I had no longer enough to resist. Well he saw my trouble and had pity on me. Could I do aught else than cherish him? I owe him far more than life. Ah, if, by remaining near him, I had but to tremble for that! Do not suppose I had ever consented to go away! What is life to me without him? Should I not be too happy to lose it? Condemned to be the cause of his eternal misery and my own, to dare neither to pity myself nor console him, to defend myself daily against him and against myself, to devote my cares to causing him pain, when I would consecrate them to all his happiness! To live thus, is it not to die a thousand times? Yet that is what my fate must be. I will endure it, however, I will have the courage. O you, whom I choose for my mother, receive this vow! Receive also that which I make, to hide from you none of my actions. Receive it, I beseech you, I beg it of you as a succour of which I have need thus, pledged to tell you all, I shall acquire the habit of believing myself always in your presence. Your virtue shall replace my own. Never doubtless shall I consent to come before you with a blush, and restrained by this powerful check, whilst I shall cherish in you the indulgent friend, the confidant of my weakness, I shall also honour in you the guardian angel who will save me from shame. Shame enough, I must feel, in having to make you this request fatal effect of presumptuous confidence. Why did I not dread sooner this inclination which I felt springing up? Why did I flatter myself that I could master it or overcome it at my will? How insensate! How little I knew what love was! Ah, if I had fought against it with more care, perhaps it would have acquired less dominion. Perhaps then this separation would not have been necessary. Or even, if I had submitted to that sorrowful step, I need not have broken off entirely a relation which it would have been sufficient to render less frequent, but to lose all at one stroke, and for ever. Oh, my friend! But what is this? Even in writing to you shall I be led away to vent criminal wishes? Oh, away! Away! And at least let these involuntary errors be expiated by my sacrifices. Adieu, my venerable friend! Love me as your daughter, adopt me for such, and be sure that, in spite of my weakness, I would rather die than render myself unworthy of your choice. At the Chateau de... Blanc, 3rd October, 17, blank, at 1 o'clock in the morning.
0: Letter the 103rd Madame de Rosemonde to the Présidente de Tourvel
3: i was more grieved at your departure my fairest dear than surprised at its cause a long experience and the interest which you inspire in me had sufficed to enlighten me as to the state of your heart and if all must be told there was nothing or almost nothing that your letter taught me if it had been my only source of information i should be still in ignorance of whom it was you loved For in speaking to me of him all the time, you did not even once write his name. I had no need of that. I am well aware who it is, but I remark it because I remind myself that that is ever the style of love. I see that it is still the same as in past times. I had hardly expected ever to be in the case to hark back to memories so far removed from me and so alien to my age since yesterday nevertheless i have truly been much occupied with them through the desire which i felt to find in them something which might be useful to you but what can i do except admire and pity you i praise the wise course you have taken but it alarms me because i conclude from it that you judged it necessary and when one has gone so far it is very difficult to remain always at a distance from him to whom our heart is incessantly attracting us however do not lose courage nothing should be impossible to your noble soul and even if you should some day have the misfortune to succumb which god forbid believe me my fairest dear reserve yourself at least the consolation of having struggled with all your power and then what human prudence cannot affect divine grace will if it be so pleased perhaps you are on the eve of its succor and your virtue proved by these grievous struggles will issue from them purer and more lustrous hope that you may receive to-morrow the strength which you lack to-day do not count upon this in order to repose upon it But to encourage you to use all your own. Whilst leaving to Providence the care of succouring you in a danger against which I can do nothing, I reserve to myself that of sustaining and consoling you, as far as within me lies. I shall not assuage your pains, but I will share them. It is by virtue of this that I will gladly receive your confidences. I feel that your heart must have need of unburdening itself i open mine to you age has not yet so chilled it that it is insensible to friendship you will always find it ready to receive you it will be a poor solace to your sorrow but at least you will not weep alone and when this unhappy love obtaining too much power over you compels you to speak of it it is better that it should be with me than with him here am i talking like you and i think that between us we shall succeed in avoiding his name for the rest we understand one another i know not whether i am doing right in telling you that he seemed keenly grieved at your departure it would be wiser perhaps not to speak of it but i have no love for the prudence which grieves its friends yet i am forced to speak about it at no greater length my weak sight and tremulous hands do not admit of long letters when I have to write them myself. Adieu, then, my fairest dear. Adieu, my amiable child. Yes, I gladly adopt you for my daughter. And you have, indeed, all that is needed to make the pride and pleasure of a mother. At the Chateau d'Eux, 3rd October, 17.
0: Letter, the 104th the Marquise de Merteuil, to Madame de Volange.
4: In truth, my good and dear friend, I could hardly refrain from a movement of pride when I read your letter. What! You honour me with your entire confidence! You even deign to ask me for my advice! Ah, I am happy indeed if I deserve this favourable opinion on your part, if I do not owe it only to the prepossession of friendship for the rest whatever the motive may be it is none the less precious to my heart and to have obtained it is only one reason the more in my eyes why i should labor harder to deserve it i am going then but without pretending to give you a counsel to tell you freely my fashion of thinking i distrust myself because it is different from yours but when i have exposed my reasons to you you will judge them and if you condemn them i subscribe to your judgment in advance i shall at least show thus much wisdom that i do not think myself wiser than you if however and in this single instance my opinion should seem preferable you must seek for the cause of this in the illusions of maternal love since this sentiment is a laudable one it needs must have a place in you indeed how very recognisable it is in the course which you are tempted to take it is thus that if it sometimes happens to you to make a mistake it never arises except through a choice of virtues prudence it seems to me is the quality to be preferred when one is disposing of another's fate and above all where it is a question of fixing it by an indissoluble and sacred bond such as that of marriage tis then that a mother equally wise and tender ought as you say so well to aid her daughter with her experience now i ask you what is she to do in order to succeed in this if it be not to distinguish for her between what is pleasant and what is suitable would it not then be to degrade the maternal authority would it not then be to degrade the maternal authority would it not be to annul it if you were to subordinate it to a frivolous inclination the illusory power of which is only felt by those who dread it and disappears as soon as it is despised for myself i confess i have never believed in these irresistible and engrossing passions through which it seems we are agreed to pay general excuses for our disorders i cannot conceive how a fancy which is born in a moment and in a moment dies can have more strength than the unalterable principles of honor modesty and virtue and i can no more understand why a woman who is false to them can be held justified by her pretended passion than a thief would be by his passion for money or an assassin by that for revenge ah who is it there that can say that she has never had to struggle but i have ever sought to persuade myself that in order to resist it sufficed to have the will and thus far at least my experience has confirmed my opinion what would virtue be without the duties which it imposes its worship lies in our sacrifices its recompense in our hearts these truths cannot be denied except by those who have an interest in disregarding them and who already depraved hope to have a moment's illusion by endeavouring to justify their bad conduct by bad reasons but could one fear it from a shy and simple child a child whom you have borne and whose pure and modest education can but have fortified her happy nature yet it is to this fear which i venture to call humiliating to your daughter that you are ready to sacrifice the advantageous marriage which your prudence has contrived for her i like danceny greatly and for a long time past as you know i have seen little of m de but my friendship with the one and my indifference towards the other do not prevent me from feeling the enormous difference which exists between the two matches their birth is equal i admit but one is without fortune whilst that of the other is so great that even without birth it would have sufficed to obtain him everything i quite agree that money does not make happiness but it must be admitted also that it greatly facilitates it mademoiselle de volanges is rich enough for two as you say however an income of sixty thousand livres which she will enjoy is not overmuch when one bears the name of danceny when one must furnish and maintain a house which corresponds with it we no longer live in the days of madame de Sévigné. Luxury swallows up everything. We blame it, but we needs must imitate it, and in the end the superfluous stints us of the necessary. As to the personal qualities which you count for much, and with good reason, M. de Gercourt is assuredly irreproachable on that score, and as for him, his proof is over. I like to think, and in fact I do think, that Donceny is no whit his inferior, but are we as sure of that? It is true that thus far he has seemed exempt from the faults of his age, and that, in spite of the tone of the day, he shows a taste for good company which makes one augur favourably for him. But who knows whether this apparent virtue be not due to the mediocrity of his fortune. putting aside the fear of being a cheat or a drunkard one needs money to be a gambler or a libertine and one may yet love the faults the excesses of which one dreads in short he would not be the first in a thousand to frequent good company solely because he lacked the means of doing otherwise i do not say god forbid that i believe all this of him but it would be always a risk to run and what reproaches would you not have to make yourself if the event were not happy how would you answer your daughter if she were to say to you mother i was young and without experience i was seduced even by an error pardonable at my age but heaven which had foreseen my weakness had granted me a wise mother to remedy it and protect me from it why then forgetful of your prudence did you consent to my unhappiness was it for me to choose a husband when i knew nothing of the marriage state if i had wished to do so was it not your duty to oppose me but i never had this mad desire determined to obey you i awaited your choice with respectful resignation i never failed in the submission which i owed to you and yet i bear to-day the penalty which is only the rebellious children's due ah your weakness has been my ruin perhaps her respect would stifle these complaints but maternal love would divine them and the tears of your daughter though hidden would none the less strip upon your heart where then will you look for consolation will it be to that mad love against which you should have armed her and by which on the contrary you would have yourself to be seduced I know not, my dear friend, whether I have too strong a prejudice against this passion, but I deem it redoubtable even in marriage. It is not that I disapprove of the growth of a soft and virtuous sentiment to embellish the marriage bond and to sweeten, in some sort, the duties which it imposes, but it is not to that passion that it belongs to form it. It is not for the illusion of a moment to settle the choice of your life in fact in order to choose one must compare and how can that be done when one is occupied by a single object when even that object one cannot know plunged as one is in intoxication and blindness i have as you may well believe come across many women afflicted with this dangerous ill of some of them i have received the confidences to hear them there is not one of them whose lover is not a perfect being but these chimerical perfections exist only in their imaginations their feverish heads dream only of virtues and accomplishments they adorn with them at their pleasure the object whom they prefer it is the drapery of a god often worn by an abject model but whatever it may be hardly have they clothed it then the dupes of their own handiwork they prostrate themselves to adore it either your daughter does not love danceny or else she is under the same illusion if the love is reciprocal it is common to both thus your reason for uniting them for ever resolves itself into the certainty that they do not and cannot know each other but you will ask do monsieur de Gercourt and my daughter know each other any better no doubtless but at least they are simply ignorant they are under no delusion what happens in such a case between two married persons whom i assume to be virtuous each of them studies the other looks face to face at the other seeks and soon discovers what tastes and wishes he must give up for the common tranquillity these slight sacrifices are not irksome because they are reciprocal and have been foreseen soon they give birth to mutual kindness and habit which fortifies all inclinations which it does not destroy brings about little by little that sweet friendship that tender confidence which joined to esteem form so it seems to me the true and solid happiness of marriage the illusions of love may be sweeter but who does not know that they are less durable and what dangers are not brought about by the moment which destroys them it is then that the least faults appear shocking and unendurable by the contrast which they form with the idea of perfection which had seduced us each one of the couple believes however that only the other has changed and that he has always the same value as that which in a mistaken moment had been attributed to him the charm which he no longer experiences he is astonished at no longer producing he is humiliated at this wounded vanity embitters the mind augments injuries causes ill-humour begets hate and frivolous pleasures are paid for finally by long misery such my dear friend is my manner of thinking upon the subject which occupies us i do not defend it i simply expound it tis for you to decide but if you persist in your opinion i beg you to make me acquainted with the reasons which have outweighed my own i shall be glad indeed to gather light from you and above all to be reassured as to the fate of your amiable child whose happiness i ardently desire both through my friendship for her and through that which unites me to you for life paris fourth of october seventeen
0: letter the hundred and fifth the marquise de merteuil to cecile
4: volange well well little one so here you are quite vexed quite ashamed and that m de valmont is a wicked man is he not how now he dares to treat you as the woman he would love the best he teaches you what you are dying with desire to know in truth these proceedings are unpardonable and you on your side you wished to keep your virtue for your lover who does not abuse it you cherish only the pains of love and not its pleasures nothing could be better and you will figure marvellous well in a romance passion misfortune above all virtue what a heap of fine things in the midst of this brilliant pageant one feels ennui sometimes it is true but one pays it back see the poor child then how much she is to be pitied her eyes looked worn the day after what will you say pray when it's your lovers that look thus nay my sweet angel you will not always have them so all men are not valmonts and then not to dare to raise those eyes oh in truth you were right there everybody would have read in them your adventure believe me however if it were so our women and even our damsels would have a far more modest gaze in spite of the praise i am forced to give you as you see i must however admit that you failed in your chef-d'oeuvre which was to have told everything to your mamma. you had started so well you had already thrown yourself into her arms you sobbed she also wept what a pathetic scene and what a pity not to have completed it your tender mother quite ravished with delight and to assist your virtue would have shut you up in a convent for the rest of your life and there you could have loved danceny as much as you wished without rivals and without sin you could have broken your heart at your ease and valmont assuredly would not have come to trouble your grief with vexatious pleasures seriously at past fifteen can one be so utterly a child as you are you are right indeed to say that you do not deserve my kindness yet i would be your friend you have need of one perhaps with the mother you possess and the husband whom she would give you but if you do not form yourself more what would you have one do with you What can one hope for when that which generally excites intelligence in girls seems, on the contrary, to deprive you of it? If you could bring yourself to reason for a moment, you would soon find that you ought to congratulate yourself instead of complaining. But you are shamefaced, and that disturbs you. Well, calm yourself the shame caused by love is like its pain it is only experienced once indeed one can feign it afterwards but one no longer feels it the pleasure however remains and that is surely something i think even that i gathered the fact from your little chattering letter that you were inclined to count it for much come now a little honesty that trouble which prevented you from acting as you spoke which made you find it so difficult to resist which made you feel as though you were sorry when valmont went away was it really shame which caused it or was it pleasure and his way of saying things to which one does not know how to answer may that not have arisen from his way of acting ah little girl you are fibbing and you are fibbing to your friend that is not right but let us leave that what would be a pleasure to anybody and could be nothing else becomes in your position a veritable happiness in fact placed as you are between a mother whose love is necessary to you and a lover by whom you desire to be loved always do you not see that the only means of obtaining these opposite ends is to occupy yourself with a third party distracted by this new adventure whilst in your mamma's eyes you will have the air of sacrificing to your submission an inclination which displeases her in the eyes of your lover you will acquire the honour of a fine defence whilst assuring him incessantly of your love you will not grant him the last proofs of it such refusals so little painful to you in the case in which you will be he will not fail to attribute to your virtue he will complain of them perhaps but he will love you more for them and to obtain the double merit of having sacrificed love in the eyes of one of resisting it in those of the other "'will cost you nothing more than to taste its pleasures. "'Oh, how many women have lost their reputation which they would have carefully preserved "'had they been able to retain it by similar means! "'Does not the course which I propose to you seem to you the most reasonable, "'as it is the most pleasant? "'Do you know what you have gained from that which you have adopted?' only that your mamma has attributed your increased melancholy to an increase of love that she is incensed at it and that to punish you she only waits for additional proof she has just written to me she will make every attempt to extract the admission from you she will go so far she told me as to propose d'ancigny to you as a husband and that in order to induce you to speak and if letting yourself be beguiled by this deceitful tenderness you answered as your heart bade you soon confined for a long time perhaps for ever you would weep for your blind credulity at your leisure this ruse which she wishes to employ against you you must combat with another begin then by seeming less melancholy to lead her to believe that you think less of danceny she will allow herself to be the more easily persuaded in that this is the ordinary effect of absence and she will be the better disposed to you for it since she will find it an opportunity for applauding her own prudence which suggested this means to her but if some doubt still remaining she were nevertheless to persist in proving you and were to speak to you of marriage fall back as a well-bred daughter upon perfect submission as a matter of fact what do you risk as far as husbands are concerned one is worth no more than another and the most uncompromising is always less troublesome than a mother once more satisfied with you your mother will at last marry you and then less hampered in your movements you will be able at your choice to quit valmont and take danceny or even to keep them both for mark this your danceny is charming but he is one of those men whom one has when one wills and as long as one wills one can be at one's ease then with him it is not the same with valmont it is difficult to keep him and dangerous to leave him one must employ with him much tact or if one has not that much docility on the other hand if you could succeed in attaching him to you as a friend what a piece of fortune that would be he would set you at once in the first rank of our women of fashion it is in this way that one acquires consideration in the world and not by dint of tears and blushes as when your nuns made you take your dinner on your knees if you are wise then you will endeavor to be reconciled with valmont who must be mighty wroth with you and as one should know how to repair one's follies do not fear to make a few advances to him besides you will soon learn that if men make us the first ones we are almost always obliged to make the second you have a pretext for them for you must not keep this letter and i require you to hand it to valmont as soon as you have read it do not forget however to seal it beforehand first in order to secure for yourself the merit of the step you are taking with regard to him and to prevent your having the air of being advised to it and secondly because there is no one in the world save yourself of whom i am sufficiently the friend to speak to as i do to you adieu sweet angel follow my advice and you shall tell me if you feel the better for it p s by the way i was forgetting one word more look to it that you cultivate your style more you write always like a child i quite see whence it arises it is because you say all that you think and no whit of what you do not think that may pass between you and me who have nothing to hide from one another but with everybody with your lover above all you would always have the air of a little fool. You must remember that, when you write to any one, it is for him and not for yourself. You must, therefore, think less of telling him what you think than what will give him most pleasure. Adieu, sweetheart. I kiss you instead of scolding you, in the hope that you will become more reasonable." Paris, Fourth of October, Seventeen.
0: End of section twenty one.